Hello. Hey. All right. More mic problems this morning. Oh, fantastic. If you still wanted to give um, later in the service, the, the uh, equipment, the multi-armed, what did you call it? Uh, the multi-armed stand will be there um, should, you wish to, should you wish to give in that way. Well, good morning, everybody. Fantastic to see you, church. The children of God, born of the Spirit. You know, we pray for you regularly that we'd be strengthened in our faith. Um, and that you grow in Christ. And this morning, we're going to be having a little look at Galatians. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you've had a conversation with somebody where they've avoided all the niceties? They've gone straight in for the conversation, gone in and gone, what on earth are you doing? You ever been in a conversation like that? Paul generally, in his letters, is really lovely. Philippians, Colossians, he comes in and says, oh, church, I'm thankful for you. I love your faith and your love. I'm praying for you. No, normally it's really positive. Even in 1 Corinthians where Paul's got some tough things to say, he starts off positive. And then comes Galatians. Paul seems to cut out all of the niceties and he goes straight in for the kill. Paul's deeply concerned. There's obviously some things that he thinks he needs to get straight to the point on. And he's even quite shocked if you've got your Bibles or you've got one on, just, just turn to Galatians 1, uh, verse 6. It should come up on the, the screen, though, I think. Um, so, Paul says these words. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and instead you're turning to a different gospel, which really isn't a gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. They are trying to pervert the gospel. They're twisting it. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Woo! There's an entrance to a conversation. As we have already said, and so I now say again, if anybody preaches to you a gospel other than that, what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Strong words from Paul. Paul was aware that there was something at risk. There were some choices that the Galatians were making that had consequences. And actually ones that could result in something, in this case, quite severe. He was adamant to make sure they held on to their faith. Because these people, these agitators, as Paul called them, had come into Galatia and they were saying to the Galatians, basically, your faith isn't enough. Trusting in Jesus is not enough. Okay, what you need to do, you need to add to it something extra. Oh, and then you'll be fully accepted by God, and that's going to make the difference. In this case, circumcision. That males should do something I don't even want to explain carefully in public, um, nor really think about. But the faith was not enough. And Paul was aware that if they were to lean on circumcision instead of just their faith in Christ, and on his death and his resurrection, they were going to lean on something that was actually going to lead them away from God, away from his promises. Let's just read this in Galatians 5 as he goes on through the letter. He says these words, Theo read these, it's for freedom that Christ set us free, verse 1. And then he says this, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. 
and we've fallen away from grace. Because it's through the Spirit we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Only, the, th- the only thing that counts, sorry, is faith expressing itself through love. Paul is deeply concerned that the Galatians are going to make some choices that cost them dearly. And he doesn't want them to do that. And yet we know that choices have consequences, don't we? It's one of those things about our world that choices have consequences. Most of us generally think of something negative when we say that. As if we're more talking about punishments. You know, oh, you're going to get consequences for that. Somebody's going to get a taste of their own medicine. And there might be that aspect to this. You know, God in his justice has the right to say to his creation, no, actually that is not okay. But I don't think it's just about that. I think what's going on here is Paul talking about that there are products, there are things that our choices produce. Our actions and even our inactions produce something in life. For the good and grow something wonderful, or for the worse, and allow something to grow or grow something negative in our lives and in the lives of other people. As Paul says in Galatians 6, again, another example of, this, of, a, similar, uh, of a similar principle. He says in verse 7, look, Galatians, don't be deceived. Don't have the wall pulled over your eyes. Don't pretend that that things are different. It says, look, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. There are outcomes and there are benefits and there are gains to the way we live our lives for the positives and for the negatives. Even in Christ, even under grace, even in his forgiveness, that principle still remains true. A man reaps what he sows. People of his day taught it often. We've got common phrases, don't we, in our culture that teach a similar thing. You only get what you give. You make your bed, you lie in it. Anybody got another one? Well, (laughs) okay. All right. There are numerous, uh, what goes around? comes around. Numerous, n- numerous things that we've got in our culture uh, and in our society and in life in general um, that make the same point. Nobody in all of their freedom escapes the fact that our words and our actions and our thoughts do something to us and to the people around us, whatever those things are. And John Mark Comer highlights in this chapter of the book a principle that he calls the law of returns. But it's got two points to it. First one, every cause has an effect. In essence, the world is wired in a way that when we do something, something happens. If I was to drop the microphone, it obviously would hit the floor. Uh, If I switch on the light, the light should switch on. Things happen in life. Okay. When I was driving down the M25 at 7 o'clock in the morning with Dave Bonney en route to the airport, and the traffic in front had stopped. I hadn't seen it. I was looking at the dashboard at that moment. Dave had spotted and thankfully warned me quickly, hitting the brakes as hard as I possibly could, swerving into the fourth lane because I was in the third one. 
uh, still wasn't quite enough. Thankfully, enough that we didn't smash hard into the back end of the car in front and were able actually afterwards to drive on and get Dave to the airport on time. Amazing. But that's the way the world works. And that wasn't a punishment. It's just the product of life and the choices and the things that happen of what goes on in life around us. And yet we know, don't we, that we have choices in those things as well. We went to Splashdown at Easter as a family to the, to the water park with all the flumes. Josiah was terrified. Bless him, he, he's, he's not the boldest of characters in life. And so he obviously needed a bit of a nudge. So we said, right, I said to him, look, I'll give you a, I'll give you a bit of a reward. His older sister was not happy. She was like, I'll go on anything. But what, I don't get a reward? I was like, okay, look, if you push yourself today and you try something different and you push yourself beyond your fear, you know, walk out for ice cream or something. And, uh, and bless him, he, he went for it. I was really impressed. Obviously, the enticement of ice cream, as we should all be enticed this morning towards that, was obviously enough to really get him moving. And um, in the end, he went on the steepest slide and he said at the end, that one was my favorite. I was really impressed with him because he'd, he'd decided that he was going to step into that. And actually, as he did it, he found a new sense of freedom and an enjoyment in doing the thing that he was previously afraid of because his choice changed something. He had a bit of capacity in himself to, to lead himself or to move himself in that direction. Things we do have outcomes, effects. Paul says in Galatians 5, I'm just going to keep bringing out examples of this from the letter because although there's so much faith in here, this is woven through the whole thing. Galatians 5, 13 to 15, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I always thought Paul's words about biting and devouring each other were about harsh things that we say about each other. I don't know if anybody else has kind of thought that in their heads. And it may well include that. But I was surprised to read um, this week that Craig Keener thinks that he's not really talking specifically at all about that. He's actually making a really shocking point, which is about cannibalism. He's actually making a point to his audience, which is actually if you bite and devour each other, if you treat each other in certain ways that actually essentially is kind of like you're consuming each other, you have to understand that you're, you're at the end of it all going to just destroy each other. It's only going to lead a certain way. I think that surely includes things like grumpy comments and miserable things we say about each other. That as we begin to bite and devour one another, as we begin to take advantage of other people. So it has those kind of consequences that lead us towards something worse. They take us somewhere, don't they, in a direction. And the second point of, of what that John Mark Comer brings out that I find fascinating, but is that the cause doesn't always just match up to the effect. Actually, the, the effect can be disproportionately large in comparison to the cause. Sometimes what we do might seem small, but it has an outcome which is far-reaching to what you expected it to be. In simple terms, you take a seed, you sow the seed, what do you get back? You don't get a seed, do you? You get a plant, a whole plant. 
The plant that's then capable of producing its own seeds to then create more plants, etc. The sowing of the seed began a whole process of things that were disproportionately large in comparison to the seed that was sown. An oak tree comes from an acorn. It turns this massive tree that in its mature years can produce 10,000 acorns in one season alone. Incredible growth. So it isn't just a mathematical case of seed sown equals one seed back. It is that things can even grow more greatly than we imagined. And so it can be sometimes with our actions, can't it? The things that we do and the things that we think that we actually find ourselves in a place where we either think, I never wanted to be here. Or we knew what we were getting ourselves into and only realized the consequences later. A simple historical example, but the Archduke Franz Ferdinand's assassination could be said to have led to the deaths of 35 million people in World War One. Um, I'm sure you're not that interested in the lottery, but two months ago, a couple won the largest haul in the lottery ever from a two-pound thing they paid in, 184 million pounds return. But even on simple money, Neil will tell you, as people save and invest, or maybe not so much at the moment, but those things grow over time. If we sow with kindness, one act of kindness towards somebody, that can then begin to shape the course of their day. They go on to a conversation with somebody else and they go into it lighter, slightly more valued, slightly more positive. They then have a more positive conversation with those people and so those things begin to spread and grow. And unfortunately, likewise, the other way. One harsh comment is enough to set the trajectory of that person's day in the wrong direction. I wonder how many of us have been in that position. And so things can be disproportionately large in comparison to what it is that we sow. And so applying that to us, to our spiritual formation, as John Mark Comer calls it, by our growing in Christ-likeness. So the things that we do, the choices that we make, the things that we think, the things that we do actually begin to shape what it is we're involved in. Ultimately, that is by the Spirit. Again, Paul is absolutely clear about this in Galatians. Galatians 5 again, 5 to 6 says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We eagerly await. It's through the Spirit. And it isn't, the Spirit doesn't work in our lives, as Paul says in Galatians 3, by anything other than by our trust in Him. We don't manipulate Him to work in us by our action. But every choice grows something in us. And every choice goes somewhere. And uh, we need to choose what it is that we do. There's a C.S. Lewis quote. If I can put this up there. Which, which I think is excellent and very helpful. Let's just read this together. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you. The part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace, knowledge and power 
And to be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or to the other. Powerfully made point. It starts with small choices, doesn't it? One of the examples used often is that of you know, adultery on the negative side. That the adultery doesn't just suddenly happen and suddenly somebody comes along and just says, right, here we go. It usually is a process of a whole load of choices. Those little moments when somebody lingered a little bit long in their mind about this person or that person or about that possibility or this imaginary scenario. The, the little look, the longing look here and there that then begins to grow something else that then there's that meeting up after work and there's kind of those scenarios of, of where it begins to, to develop. They start with those little small choices. And so there is something of the awareness uh, of, of learning to, to pick up those movements. Phil lent me a book a few, uh, last year at some point, about the examine prayer. It's all about considering those inner movements, those that are growing Christ in us and those that aren't. And being able to try and be sensitive to those moments when we notice ourselves going in a direction that we don't want to or going in a direction that we do and how we have a degree of choice and a prayerful choice to be able to, to go there. Or it more positively, my nan, when she, she uh, died a couple of years ago, she, my nan was one of the most joyful people I know. She was one of those positive, bubbly, lovely. She would celebrate. She was so full of gratefulness and thankfulness uh, to God. She would, she, you know, she, she would just be kind of electric with, with energy. She sowed over years and years and years. She, she was somebody who continued to be joyful. She continued to be thankful. She continued to praise God. And, and that is something that she grew into all the more as the years developed. Like the oak tree almost as, as we grow in our years of maturity, we should expect that there are more seeds that we have available to spread. There's more goodness that we can walk into um, that we can shape others around us with. Because it isn't just that our choices have outcomes. It's that eventually they become us. Don't they? They become innate. They become subconscious. You know, when we learn to ride a bike, it's awkward and difficult and painful and damaging at times. But in time, you don't even think about it. It's just part of who you are. You just get on the bike and off you ride and it's become a natural part. We can grow in that, in all of the ways of righteousness with Christ in us and the power of the Spirit to grow in those things that actually we don't even then have to consider them at times because they become a part of the people that we are. As oaks of righteousness that we heard as we prayed for some of the children this morning, they become part of us, which is why we've got to be so careful. And Paul warns on numerous occasions, take captive those thoughts. Be careful what you think about. Think about the things that are lovely and pure and good and true because those things will be the things that will direct us in our lives. We've got to set our minds. We've got to make our choices. And ultimately, we make our bed and we lie in it those choices that we make, we will receive the good or the bad from. If we sow into Edith's hope, if I've got the name right, but it will benefit. It will benefit lives 
and it will benefit them, what they're doing, which is fantastic. And it will benefit yourself. We know from mental health charities that Mind set five key things that benefit mental health. And one of the key things is give to something beyond yourself because they know, purely from a non-Christian point of view, that actually to do good towards others grows something positive in you and in other people. What we do has outcomes. And those things can go on to change the trajectory of people's lives. Would you say that's true, Paul, for what you've been yeah. goes on to change lives disproportionately good change for the investment that we give in the first place just going to finish with a, a final quote that, that John Mark Comer highlights in the book from Cornelius Plantinger what a name he says this about the law of returns a fuller statement of the law of returns would therefore go something like this Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed and reap another deed. Sow some deeds and reap a habit. Sow some habits and reap a character. Sow a character and reap two thoughts. And the new thoughts then pursue careers of their own. This morning, my encouragement is that we should take seriously this point that we will reap what we sow. That doesn't mean to say everything in our lives is our fault. People can abuse and manipulate this point. But at every point, we find ourselves at crossroads. Choices. Moments when we've got to say, which way am I going to go? And a non-choice is a choice. To not play ball is a choice. And that will grow something. If you choose to leave your garden and you're not going to deal with it, it doesn't just nicely sit there and wait for you at that height of grass and those bushes stay where they are. Uh, It doesn't. It grows without you even touching it because things in life have potency. God has so designed the world that it has that kind of power. And so we need to be involved in directing those things, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Because as Paul finishes in Galatians 6, he says, we will reap a harvest. Don't give up, because in due course, you're going to get what you sowed. You will. And that was a positive. He wasn't being negative. There was no threat involved um, in the way I read that, at least. Keep sowing in, because the benefits in time will be, will be yours. They will be yours. And so I wonder for you today, what is it that you are sowing and reaping positively for the better for the good yourself and those around you or negatively whether you know there's some fruit in your life that you think I'm, I'm not growing something good here um, and actually I'm, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits and so are everybody else What do we need to lay down and say, all right, my will is involved and my will is saying I'm going a different way. Repenting, as they call it, turning your way, changing your direction, doing something differently. Um, I wonder today if there's something you're aware of or that God is stirring in you to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. or I'm going to turn my way on this thing. Um, Should we just pray?
Father, we pray that you would keep our minds clear. Help us always to be aware in our choices that what we reap is what we sow. Help us not to be blinded or deceived or pretend that, oh, it's going to be okay. Oh, wow, that doesn't really matter, does it? Or, no, help us, Lord, to walk in the best goodness that we know deep in our hearts, in a place where your spirit moves us. May we continue to walk in all that it is you want us to. God, we want to walk in the harvest. We want to walk out the good that it is you have for us. We pray you'd strengthen us by your spirit. We pray you'd keep us. And we pray you'd speak to us, Lord, in the coming days. And you'd empower us, Lord, to be able to change where we need to. To be able to begin to do the little things to shift direction. Even small choices they may be. God, would you bring about change that we might change the course of where we're headed. That we might have a benefit on the world. And we might bless your name. We might walk in the gospel more fully. And we might reap a harvest. In Jesus' name. Amen.